You're listening to ReachMD XM233, channel for medical professionals. Pay for performance sounds like a good idea. If a physician does a good job, give him a bonus. Use an obvious incentive to improve the quality of health care. What could be simpler? Welcome to the Washington Health Report. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. Pay for performance sounds good, but putting it into practice might not be so simple. That was the conclusion of Dr. Huang Mai Pham, who discussed the issue recently in the pages of the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, Dr. Pham is a physician and a senior health researcher at the Center for Studying Health System Change in Washington. She's with us today to talk about pay for performance and whether it can work. Hello, Dr. Pham. Nice to have you with us. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about the study in the New England Journal. What did you look at? Uh, what did you conclude? The study was essentially a counting exercise. You know, the premise of paper performance programs is that you can assign responsibility for the care of a particular patient to a particular physician, and then you can hold that physician accountable for the quality of care they provide. And what we were looking at was, well, given what we suspected was the reality that patients see many physicians in the normal course of care, how do you figure out who is responsible for whom? And so we just did a very simple counting exercise. We went and counted how many doctors the typical Medicare beneficiary saw. And we used the methods that are pretty common in pay-for-performance programs out there to assign physicians their patients. And we asked, well, how well do those methods work? And we essentially found that they don't work so well, not because anybody's doing anything wrong, but because patients see so many physicians that each physician ends up accounting for only a small percentage of the care that that patient receives. So how does this work? Medicare patient has an ache or a pain. What happens? Who do they go to see? They have back pain. They go see their primary care physician. The primary care physician takes care of them for a while, and then that doc might decide that they should really go see an orthopedic surgeon. And so they go see an orthopedic surgeon, and then they might get admitted to a hospital for an operation. And it might be that surgeon. It might be the surgeon who's on call for that for that person. And then they get discharged, and they go to a rehab facility, and they have a different doctor there. Even in less dramatic cases, just, you know, if you think about your mother or my mother, who has a primary care doc and a couple of specialists, well, over the course of a year, it becomes really not so easy to decide, looking backwards in time, who was most responsible for her care. My daughter's a waitress, you know, and you, so you tip the waitress, the waitress tips the busboy, the busboy tips the dishwasher. It's the, That's what we're talking about here, right? Right. Or, and, you know, and you kind of, <laughs> I, I think we all walk around with this Marcus Welby um, impression of the healthcare system. That That's the ideal that we want, right? Everybody has one doc or, or at least a few doctors that they really trust and who know them very well, but it's really not how the world looks in claims. All right, so that's okay. So everybody, all these doctors involved put in their chit for what they've done, and we take a look and we reward them accordingly. What's, uh, why, why is that difficult? We just think that given how little influence each doctor would have over a particular patient's care, that you can't do it by looking backwards. You could probably do it better, we suggest, by deciding ahead of time coming to an agreement between the patient and the physician and Medicare about who is responsible for whom. And then, lo and behold, everybody's on the same page and you're moving in the same direction trying to improve care. We think that's a better system. Then you've got to predict the future a bit and you've got to know who they're going to see. Or you, I mean, you don't know ahead of time whether you know, that back pain you is going to be cancer patients, or what. Yeah, yeah I think if you ask, most patients know which doctor it is that they want to be responsible for them. 
Right, you but I mean, but you, but you have a but you have a diagnosis problem. Is that you know, like the back pain could be an orthopedic thing, or it could be cancer, or it could be I don't know. Oh, what else, sure, but... absolutely. That most patients require care from more than one doctor, but that's not the same thing as saying that someone is primarily responsible. And that's the distinction that we think is important, because if if you know who is primarily responsible, that person can be paid more for steering the ship. Yeah. Now, the other thing that's confusing to me about this is that you, I don't know how many, how many patients are in Medicare. Do you know offhand around numbers? 42 million people times, you know, three or four or five doctors each for, you know, some case of a serious illness. I don't even, now we're, we've got hundreds of millions of people involved here now. Uh-huh. And somebody or, you know, I don't, uh, computers are great, but I mean, are we really going to be able to collect data and sort through 150 million doctors and what people said and all of those things and give the right the 50 bucks to the right person or whatever it is? Right. Well, so there are several issues in there. I think in what you mentioned, I think it's an excellent point. And I think that we, the co-authors in the study, never suggested that we think this entire exercise should be Medicare's primary priority if you wanted to pick priorities. But we think that if you're going to go ahead with paper performance, that it would make sense to devote those resources to the neediest patients. So we're talking about really sick patients who have multiple chronic conditions. Those are the patients we think it's worth going through the effort of identifying those physicians. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. We're talking to Dr. Mai Pham about pay for performance and Medicare. Dr. Pham recently had a study published in the New England Journal in which he discussed some of these issues. We've established that patients get their care in a, in a fragmented way from a variety of doctors. Is that a given? Are we stuck with that? Is, a, is there a way to reform the care in some sense under Medicare that involves fewer people, or is that just the way it works? I think that's an excellent question, and, and I don't believe there's anything to be stuck about if we were committed to changing it. But, you know, that's a political commitment that the country as a whole would have to decide we were up for. Because if you think about it, it probably involves to some degree limiting the amount of choice that patients and, and their physicians have over who they want to work with. Okay, so you, you can't have a completely rational system and still tell everyone they can go out and see whomever they want whenever they want. There'd have to be some limits on who people can yeah, see. Yeah, some limits, although I don't think they need to be onerous at all. But the, the point is just that you can't really have your cake and eat it, too. Now, you're in Washington, so I'm going to ask you some of the political and policy questions, too, besides the sort of more technical details of the system. Where does pay for performance stand now? Is there a push to include it in Medicare? What's the current status in Washington? Well, I would have said, if you had asked me that four months ago, that pay-for-performance in Medicare was inevitable. Right now, what we have is a pay-for-reporting system, which is something that Congress enacted, the, the last Congress, the Republican Congress, enacted just before it disbanded. And it is not pay-for-performance because it just provides physicians with bonuses if they send in quality information, just report. Pay-for-performance, I think, under this Congress, is somewhat less likely to proceed just because I think the Democratic Congress is slightly more skeptical about how difficult the implementation issues really are and where the state of the science is. In terms of these kinds of issues that, you, that we've been exactly, talking about. Exactly. Yeah. The, the assignment issues, and that's 
you know, the assignment issues are merely one of many um, implementation issues. And ideologically, paper performance was always slightly more attractive to the Republican Congress because clearly has a ring of trust in the free market. And if you give the right incentives, that the right things would happen. Well, tick off for me quickly some of the other, you said there are a series of other issues that are complicated. What are some of those? Some of the other issues have been with us for a long time, like how do you actually measure quality and how do you measure improvement in quality? You know, these are technical issues that lots and lots of really smart people are working on, but uh, it's hardly a perfect science yet. What, what is the position of physicians or what's your impression? Are doctors in favor of this? Are they unsure? What's the, what's the situation? You know, I think it's complicated for physicians. I think that quite a number of professional organizations are very supportive of the push to improve quality in Medicare. And to different degrees, different groups think that P4P is one viable way to go. And others of them think, you know, we need, to, we need P4P, but we need it in the context of broader reform in the way physicians are paid. Under the pay-for-performance scheme, would physicians expect to earn more or less, or would it be designed to be revenue neutral, so to speak? What's the, what's the thought there? That is one of the tricky points, is that under the current way that physicians are paid, there is a limit to how much they can earn in pay-for-performance because if Medicare spending on physician services exceeds a given amount in one year, the next year reimbursement rates have to go down. And that has always been a real sticking point for the AMA as well as other physician groups. That is why I think people want to see P4P, if it's going to happen, happen in the context of broader payment reform. The study that you published in the journal, does that offer any advice to physicians or tips, or is it really just look at this this proposal? What should doctors be doing? Should they be lobbying for something? And if so, what should it be? I think what we were hoping the reaction would, would be a little bit of a wake-up call, that we don't live in Marcus Welby land, and uh, that we our suspicion is that physicians and most patients don't think this is the ideal way to deliver care. And if that's the case, that maybe they would be open to hearing, learning about other models. Right. Well, there's the additional problem, too, I'm sure, of very brief patient visits because of the pressure, the economics, and so forth. So not only is it not Marcus Welby because there are a lot of doctors, but Marcus Welby spending six minutes with each patient, something like that. Is there a better scheme that you have in mind? What would you like? What would you, if you ran the world, oh. what, what would you do? <laughs> if I had no presidential elections to worry about. <laughs> right. That's right. You know, I... In my head, based on the work, other work that we've done, looking at how physicians are organized and who the physicians are who seem to be doing better financially and less, and and I guess more satisfied professionally, in many cases, they appear to be physicians who work in larger practices where they're buffered from some of the financial pressures and where they have the support to do things like systematic quality improvement that they think their patients need. It's very hard to do that in the traditional solo two-person doc model. That model has its own attractions, but it's very difficult for it to support some other kinds of work. And so, you know, if I were king, I guess I um, (laughs) I would envision payers like Medicare giving doctors more money to organize into systems like that, 
into care settings like that. And then giving them, I would say, a bundled payment, what we call a bundled payment. I don't like using jargon, but just to give you a, a sense of what that means, it means paying for the whole patient. Here, Mrs. X says that she wants you to be her doctor. Do you agree? If you agree, this is a marriage, and you and this other cluster of small cluster of doctors will be responsible for her, and here's how much we give you. We won't penalize you if you spend more than that, but we can't give you more than that, and we, you know, we won't put you at financial risk like during managed care days. And by the way, on top of that, we'll give you pay for performance. That brings us to a close. Thanks so much for being with us, Dr. Fahm. Thank you very much. We've been talking about pay for performance. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. You have been listening to the Washington Health Report on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thanks for listening.